Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Oh, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes. Still crazy out there. Um, But people continue to release music and perform live, albeit online, uh, which I've been watching some really enjoyable online concerts. I just saw one today with Corey Laitman, who has been on Basic Folk, um, which you can go check out their interview and music, and very charming and lovely. Some people are just really, really good at it. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking to Mark Arelli, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, He was on episode six of Basic Folk, which you can go back and listen to if you missed that one. He has a brand new record that just came out last week called Blindsided. Uh, And he will be talking about uh, how Tom Petty inspired a lot of the sound and at least even one song. Um, We talk about contributions from the performers on the record, like when drummer Jamie Dick suggested a Bo Diddley beat for the song Can't Stand Myself, which Mark had never tried before. And I mean, I didn't know about that before I listened to it and I was like oh Bo Diddley beat it was really cool to listen to Uh, there's a lot of sweet yet realistic love songs on this album that are appropriate coming from a married guy whose kids are getting older Um, and of course there is his amazing voice which is on display on this record especially on the final track Careless so what we're going to do is we're going to hear from Mark about the whole record Blindsided and hear clips of the songs as we talk about them. And then you can go buy the record uh, at his website, marcarelli.com, because it's really important right now to support musicians who are out of a lot of income because of lost gigs. And we can support them by uh, not only streaming their shows online and sending them money through their PayPals, through their Venmos, but also through purchasing their music. Again, I'll say it, marcarelli.com. That's where you get the record. Okay, it was a pleasure to have Mark again on Basic Folk. In fact, he was the last person I interviewed in person before quarantine began thanks to COVID-19. So let's get into it. Mark Arelli talking about his album Blindside on Basic Folk. Okay, Mark Arelli, this is very exciting. Yes. Um, I have many questions for you about your new album Blindsided, which congratulations was released last week. Thank you. The first being, I really like the design of the record. Thanks. I like the, like, it's... It's um, not your usual, 
like palette. Palette, yeah. There's like <laughs> orange and pink. And yeah. What is the name of this font? You know, I don't know actually, and that's a problem because uh, it's some kind of cloud font that's in the Adobe program that she used. And I, every time I want something for a design element, I have to email her. And she says <laughs> it to me. <laughs> well, it's cool. It's um, thank you. It, it, so it sounds like you had somebody design it for you. But what was your thought process when thinking about what it might look like? This one was tough because the name of the record, you know, Blindsided, wasn't really suggesting any kind of imagery to me. You know, I mean, there might be some kind of obvious. <laughs> things that I didn't even know what they were, but I didn't want to do something obvious. And then I wanted something, I, I knew that I probably had to be on the cover because my last one was a covers record and I wasn't on the cover. So just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what, what it should look like was a little bit of a challenge. But once we got a good picture, the designer Actually, I guess I can admit this here. This is a scoop, Cindy. Okay. Well. So that picture of me on the cover, that is me, but that, that is not what I was standing in front of. She took the background of, a preview, of another picture from the same photo shoot and somehow put it behind me. And it looks, it looks like it, it's totally believable. Um, but the original background was a lot busier and it wouldn't have been very, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been as an effective design element uh and she came back with the with the palette of like oranges and pinks and i was shocked at the time but i was like yeah you know i've, I've done blacks and dark midnight blues mm. and you know earth tones and it's like let's let's have a little fun because it's a little more of a rocking thing yeah it's like very modern looking but it also has this kind of like retro 70s kind of vibe yeah it. kind of time we're actually i'm wearing that jacket <laughs> I was going to say, this is embarrassing. It is, the ja it is a jacket <laughs> that I just wear. Um, but, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted something kind of timeless, you know, uh, and so something that evokes something modern and maybe something a little classic at the same time is, I guess, timeless. Mission accomplished. Check. Check. I wonder how you feel about pictures of yourself. Are they good pictures of me? Because <laughs> if they are, then, I, then I'm fine with them. But it is getting my picture taken. That's probably after social media responsibilities. That's probably my least favorite element of, uh, of the job. Have you always disliked having your picture taken? Or is it just like in terms of um, promotional stuff? No, I don't mind if someone takes my picture just, you know, uh, in casual life. But... Um, I think actually what it mostly is, it kind of sets off a little bit of uh, visual anxiety in terms of like, I don't, I'm not always sure what, the, what this music should look like, or I'm not always sure what other people think it should look like and how to reconcile those two. The only thing I've ever really been sure of was a record I put out in 2004 called um, Hillbilly Pilgrim, which was a Western swing record. And that was easy. I was like, make the record look like a Western shirt. And they're like, got it. Got and it. And it was like, nailed it. <laughs> so every other one has been a little bit more challenging in terms of how to figure out what, what the sounds are supposed to look like. Mm. I know some musicians kind of get into that. And I actually am a very visual artist. And I have like a background in visual art and illustration and stuff. But I just, 
it, for some reason, I'm, I'm my own blind spot. You wrote this reflection on the album and then each of the songs, which I'm going to refer to quite a bit. Is that posted anywhere? Uh, no. Okay. No. Well, it's just going to be just between behind the, yeah, scenes. behind the scenes. Like, <laughs> like um, it was really lovely to read. You wrote this thing about your feelings about the whole record. You said, 20 years into my career, I almost feel like I'm looping back around to the more upbeat, hook-laden sound of my first two records, but with the weight of two decades of life experience holding it all up. And then you quoted Tom Petty, it took a world of trouble, it took a world of tears, it took a long time to get back here. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting to think about getting in touch with the version of yourself that started making music 20 years ago, um, can, and can you talk about that, that revelation? Yeah, I mean, I was, when I started out, I was... I played music and approached it like a kid because I was. I was 23 uh, when we were recording, or 24 when we were tracking that first record for Signature Sounds. And it was all just so exciting. I'd been a music fan for, you know, years and years. I just loved it. And here I was actually doing it uh, on, you know, like on a independent label I had a band of people that I had seen in other liner notes of other records that I'd loved and I was just like yes <laughs> we have made it you know so I was I had this like real exuberance and uh enthusiasm and I, you know that's never I don't think I've ever lost that in the making of the art it's the making of a record is always really exciting and really fun but, you know, life uh, will kind of t take some of that exuberance out of you sometimes once you have enough of it under your belt. You know, you lose people that you love, you know, you have disappointments, you have challenges. So to be, to, to kind of be a little bit, hopefully, wiser on the, on, with some of that stuff behind you, but to still ha be able to connect with that, like, youthful, like, rock and roll fan side of you that that's a real gift when that's like that's your job I mean that's like what I'm supposed to do and if I don't do that I'm not doing my job and that, mm. that I just feel like that's such a gift so I was really I really kind of felt that after I, I I've tracked the record and went you know was listening back and I was like this sounds like if you had made a line through the like if each of the first two records is a point if you make a line through that and extrapolate it out 20 years like you could you could ease, you could believably get here, you know, <laughs> which felt kind of cool because I've been a lot of different places in between that. Nice. Okay, let's uh, see if we can blow through this All record. Right. Sounds good. <clears throat> All right, we're gonna go track by track, starting with the opener, which is the title track, "Blindsided." Walking down the street, minding my business. Never saw coming, God is my witness. But you were there like a shot of green in the gray of the city, and I was unprepared for the way it hit me. Blindsided, blindsided. You know, blindsided. You you write about how it's sometimes used as a negative term. Sure. Um, but you're using it in a positive manner of like blindsided by love, which is kind of amazing to look on the sunny, sunnier side 
of something these days yeah. <laughs> that we live in. And the last time we heard from you, album-wise, was 2016, um, and some shit has happened between then. Yep. So in the past several years, what has been your experience with looking at the positive side of life? You know, it's so easy to dwell and thrive on negative energy, but how have you been cultivating positivity? Well, you know, I have I have two kids, and they're actually not really, um, they don't loom as large on this record and the songs on this record as they have um, since they came along. Uh, like, in the last 10 years, they've, there's always, they've been on the records and as a kind of, like, emotional presence. And this time, it was kind of more like an adult kind of midlife, like, this, this is dad, dad needs some time to work <laughs> some stuff out, okay? Uh, but, you know, they connecting with them, um, they definitely help you see the joy and they remind you of the joy that you took in things when, you know, not so long ago, it seems you were their age doing the same thing. Um, nature is another big thing. There's, there's a song later on in the record we can talk about that references the geography of the American West. And that is something that just blows my mind in a kind of ecstatic fashion. So it's important to, to reconnect with that. And also it's, it's just kind of amazing. Like I've been married, uh, to the same woman now for, uh, to the only woman that I've ever been married to <laughs> since 2002. So that's this is our 18th year, and we were together uh, four years before that. So it's been like 22, 23 years together. And to still, you know, be in love, to still find, feel like we're supporting each other and progressing and, and the things that we want to do, you know, that, and that we're healthy and we're, you know, in some ways healthier than maybe we were even in our 20s, making better choices. Um, that, to me, is a real source of joy, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that stuff kind of is in the background uh, of these songs or kind of even comes to the fore sometimes. I got a great question. For okay, this. but first Give I want to um, first I want to leave space to uh, you know give give you props for that Bo Diddley, Bo Diddley beat. Well, I'm gonna pass that right on to <laughs> Jamie Dick, who drummed on the record. It was it was not that uh, groove when I wrote it, um, but Jamie heard it that way, and I I knew that Zach uh, Hickman, our our friend and producer, was was not sold on that idea when he first heard it, but we were encouraging guys to, you know, make contributions. And uh, I knew from the first time I heard it, I said, like, that's, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. I'd never done a Bo Diddley beat before. So anytime I can kind of, like, 
branch out and put myself in a new musical context. I'm, I'm all for it. So, uh, yeah, I'm real proud of that. Really cool. Um, in your comments you're writing about the record, I've always thought of myself as a good person, but if that's true, then why do I occasionally let people down or hurt them? So the older that I get, the more that I've realized that I'm going to disappoint people that I love, and sometimes you kind of have to do it in order to grow and in order to evolve Mm -hmm. and vice versa for them to grow and evolve. How have you grown comfortable with disappointing people that you love? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I guess in like a parenting context, I do. Uh, A lot of this, like on this record, as far as like a relationship, I haven't grown comfortable with it. You know, like I'm trying not, I'm actively trying not to, despite, you know, occasionally falling back into it. I guess I, I don't enjoy letting people down, but as you know, you get further on, you kind of also realize that you can't do everything and you can't be every everything for, mm. for everyone, you know? So for example, I'm sure there's people that love, uh, you know, my folkier kind of political side and maybe, maybe this record is, is not as much their, their cup of tea. And that's, you know, if they're disappointed, uh, I'm that's I'm fine with that. You know, it's mm. this is my record. My name's on it. You know, mm. um, and I'll make you know, I'm sure I'll make folkier records in the future. Um, but these songs wanted to be this way. So like musically, when it comes to art, I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable um, with, you know, disappointing people. I, w- I wouldn't have put it that way, but, you know, it's just more about being true to yourself in the moment. And sometimes, say, yeah, yeah, and sometimes people can't get with that, and that's fine. They're not living your life. They don't have to be, and if they're disappointed, mm. I'm I'm sorry. But, you know, it is what it is. But there is such that, like, discomfort, and it's like a... Um... It's like a lifelong people pleaser, you know. You're like, <laughs> yeah, the, you you are a people pleaser, or I'm a people pleaser to a fault, you know. And then yeah. there's that. It's such an adult realization that like, I'm gonna disappoint you, but I'm also gonna be able to like not have an anxiety attack about whatever. Totally, totally, and I definitely find that just being honest with people is probably the best policy there. You know, like I think. There's times when people ask me to do something professionally and I'll just have too much going on and, and I just say, look, I I know I can't nail this. I can't take it on and, like, do it justice. Like, you deserve some something better. I know this isn't the answer you want to hear, but I, I'm going to have to let you down on this one. <laughs> and you got to just be, you got to be comfortable with that after a certain point. A Little Kindness is the next song, and this is a song you wrote the night Tom Petty died, which seems like that was a huge one for you. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. You always walked beside me in joy and in despair. Now I need something to lean on, but you're not here. I've been looking for a little kindness. But it's hard to find Looking for a little kindness And it's hard to find these days First record I ever bought with my own money 
And I, I didn't realize it until he passed away. Like, he's the artist that I've been with through my entire time that I've been listening to music. Through every format, like my first record I bought with my own money, like to play on my Fisher Price, like brown plastic record player. And then I bought it on cassettes and then on CDs and then downloads and then back to vinyl. You know, it. I grew up with it, with his music. It was just always there. And a lot of that time it was actually like commer really commercially viable too, which is mind-blowing mm. to stay relevant for that long. Yeah, so when he passed away, I uh, I was really, I didn't see that coming. And I was looking online at the reactions, and um, it was Joe Pug, a wonderful songwriter. and uh, Fellow podcaster. Yeah, yeah, great podcaster. I, I won't go so far as to call him a friend. We've met a couple times. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, like, call him up and... And shoot the shit, but I—he's—he's uh, he's a colleague, and I—I res I really respect what he does. And he—he he said, you know, we should stop, you know, stop crying on on Twitter and write him a song. You know, that's mm. that's the best response. And I thought, like, you know, challenge accepted, sir. <laughs> and that's what that's what came out because it was also uh, um, there was that big shooting in Las Vegas at the same time, mm. and it just it just seemed like things were particularly grim at that moment mm. and um i was just like grasping for any kind of light and uh it was it was tough to see for a little a, a few days there you wrote that i grew from a fan to a fellow songwriter and i was able to glean different things out of his work can you talk about how it was different for you to listen to tom petty as a music fan versus as a songwriter Oh yeah, I mean, when you're a fan, you know, you you just find yourself humming the songs or the melodies or the hooks, like you know, anywhere in the shower, you know, on the toilet, in the car, you know, you know, I'm free, free falling, you know, driving down the highway, whatever, and they just sound so like inevitably and immediately and inexorably part of your life. They like it's a direct injection. And then fast forward 10 years and you start to write your own songs and you're like, hmm, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to, to make it sound that easy. And, uh, and that has always been something that I've wanted to, to learn from him, to kind of pare it back you know, to just the, the real basics. And, uh, and I feel like that it's something that took me, you know, a better part of 20 years really to kind of figure out hmm. and I still can't do it at will but, <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed to be able to yeah. <laughs> looking for a little kindness and it's hard to find these days so hard to find this is her town this is her town this is song Her Town Now was co-written with Chuck Prophet and his poet friend Clip Schutz. He sounds like an interesting person. <laughs> he is a character. Yeah, what was that process like? 
I thought I was just going to be writing songs with Chuck, and I was already nervous enough about that because I'm a fan, and he just is, seems like a monster. Um, he's a really nice guy, but when I showed up, uh, I'm on driving into his office, and he says, "Oh, you know, I got, I got my buddy. He's a he's a friend. Uh, he's a, my buddy. Yeah, he's a poet, <laughs> and uh, we wrote, write a lot of songs together. I thought it would be could be kind of cool. I don't know, <laughs> and." Uh, I was like, yeah, sure, what you know, whatever. I'm not going to tell him to, to go. And then I show up, and there's these like two guys sitting across from me, and now I'm like outnumbered. Mm. And uh, so they're like, so you know, what do you got? <laughs> and fortunately, I came to that first day with it. We did two days, and fortunately, I came to that first day with that chorus. It used to be your town. This is your town. This is your town. This is mm -hmm. your town now. <laughs> and. Um, we wrote we wrote it as such for I think a verse or two, and then I think it was Kurt Lipschutz, Clipschutz, uh, I think, <laughs> or as Chuck calls him Clippy. I was like, really? Can I? He's like, yeah, you can call him Clippy. Clippy said, I think it's man. I think it should be her town. Let's let's give her all the all the power here. And I said uh, immediately, I was like, yes, yes, Clippy, because <laughs> I'd lived a little bit of that song. Like I, you know, I won't go into specifics, but I, when I was a lot younger, I I had felt a little of that situation, and mm. I was like, oh my god, yes, it was totally her town, and I was just like walking around like a ghost, and mm. uh, so that was. That was a lot of lot of fun. Once he changed that up, it, it all fell into place. So, yeah, this is about, like, the unspoken contract between, you know, one person and, and like, a former partner splitting up territories, friends, possessions, mm. including, which I, I love. I love it when musicians throw in other musicians uh, in their songs. There's a reference yeah. to Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. She took that, too. She took it. Man. That's cold. Yeah. And I actually listened to that record today. And honestly, uh, I just, I have to skip the first two tracks before I can, like, get into it. But, yeah. I mean, I love it, but but that was just, that was just it, my experience. Does it start with Rainy Day Women? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Which I, I can't, so. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, that I mean that song like emotionally doesn't speak to me at all. It's kind of fun from a, you know, just a a, a bop kind of perspective. Yeah, it's but, a total bop. But uh, <laughs> you know, once you get into like Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands and Desolation Row, oh, I mean, yeah. it's just like devastating. But she didn't see me Wondering where we went wrong And after all this time I thought maybe you could read my mind But you look at me with a stranger's eye For better or worse, now we're running in reverse, falling out of love. Stranger's Eyes. Um, this is a song about your marriage. You say once the kids are a bit more independent and you have a chance to breathe, I think it's normal for two people who have pledged to love each other for better or worse one day to look at each other and wonder, are we still okay? So I'm wondering, <laughs> your wife 
you said that this is her favorite song of yours. Yeah. And it, it is a great song. It's very, and we're okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's very romantic and honest and, like, pretty vulnerable. Um, so I'm wondering um, not about the details of these conversations, but for you, how hard is it to approach these very sensitive subjects in your songs? Like, do you write the song first and then have the conversation or, or vice versa? No, it, it tends to be more of like the experience happens and then I'm trying to process it. And this is how I process things. I write songs and make music about them. And, you know, in some ways it's kind of like a little bit of an after the fact, like, see, I, I was listening when you said this to me. <laughs> like, I, I did get it, you know. Uh, Look, dear, I made a record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take a, see, <laughs> but I think I think that's kind of why it, uh, my wife says it's it's her favorite song of mine because I think that was something that she was really trying to communicate to me, and it probably didn't seem like it was getting through uh, at the time. And you know, and obviously in the song, it's like, oh yeah, y you did, you do get it. You know, you still weren't very helpful around that time but you know i mean these these songs they're moments you know they're not um they're not the whole thing like it's it's hard to write about like the whole arc of a of a life and we haven't finished living it yet so you know i don't even know how the story ends mm. but the songs are like these little moments and everybody's life is different but the there's certain moments that kind of match up I think, mm -hmm. to other people. So I think, you know, while our relationship is our own and other people's is, is theirs, I think this particular kind of moment, a lot of people that have been in a long-term relationship can relate to. And, mm. and judging by, like, the elbows that I see being thrown in the audience of, you know, <laughs> of, of women into the, their male show partners, rib cages, like, you know, I think I, I think I hit a, hit a nerve. <laughs> it's a lot of elbows. I've never seen so many elbows being thrown that's at so my funny. shows. But that's your, so she should rename it the elbow song. Yeah. It's right. The stranger's elbow. <laughs> Don't send me a sign or make me read between the lines Scream and shout, don't leave any doubt Come on out and tell me what you're saying Don't let this love get lost in translation Okay, Lost in Translation. This is a very sensitive song that I think is kind of like the same subject matter as Stranger's yeah. Eyes? Yeah, I kind of, and they ended up kind of right one next to one another because it just, it felt like I didn't really want to go back there again in the record. Like I wanted to just go all the way down <laughs> in there <laughs> and then kind of try like to get back. You deeper know? drill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, this, it's, this is, it's a real, uh, it's a real weeper. I co-wrote it uh, with my friend Dave Godowski, who is not not really like the first guy you think to go to for like a really emotional, tender, like super honest, nothing to hide kind of song. Because mm. he, he's he's a very wry 
dry sense of humor kind of guy. And, you know, I've known him over a decade now, and I still can't even tell just in basic everyday interactions whether he's telling me the truth or not. <laughs> he's just got this kind of, you know, kind of impenetrability at a certain level. I, you know, very a sweet guy, but... Um, I just never know if he's pulling my leg or, or not. <laughs> but he also is really great with melody and also really good with um, kind of looking at things sideways. And, I, you know, for relationship songs, it's really, that's a really good skill to have because, you, you know, if it's going to be super sad, you want it to have a good melody. And uh, it, also you want to try and explain things or, or present them in a way that, maybe is a little bit, you know, new. Mm -hmm. So I had I probably gotten about halfway through the song when I when I brought him into it because I just stalled out. And uh, when we got to that last verse and the, uh, you know, the, the line, uh, you can't divide the coastline from the tide, always changing but in constant conversation. I mean... We literally got up and danced. We would have thought we'd like sunk the buzzer beater at like you know the in the in the basketball game or whatever. Just like we felt like that was it, you know. Like we sat there for hours trying to come up. Like no, I feel like it should be simpler. No, I feel like it should scan better. No, this is what I'm trying to say. Well, just say that, you know. It's a whole process, and once we got to that, it was like. Oh, such a release. Wow. And that's still one of my favorite favorite lines I've ever ever written, but I, I would have never gotten it without Dave. Can you say the line again? Uh, you can't divide the coastline from the tide, always changing, but in constant conversation. Oof. So it's like, you know, the metaphor for a relationship. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty obvious, like you're always changing in relation to each other, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it, and it is like the coastline and the tide. If, if the if the coastline changes, the tide takes up the extra space. It's not like one can change and the other can just stay where it is. It's like you push and pull and, mm -hmm. and like you would in any relationship. And yet you're always kind of ideally checking in with each other like, we're cool, right? We're still doing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's a really um, – I sang that song in a room the other night with my kids – my wife and my parents all in the audience. Wow. Should have thought that one through <laughs> before, I, before I went down that road, but I didn't really have a choice. It's a, it's a personal one, yeah. You, you have Denny from the Western Den singing with yes. you. How do you say her last name? Lavinka. Lavinka. Yeah. Denny Lavinka. And in your commentary, you wrote, every time I hear the first line she sings, I tear up, which got me thinking. Oh, God, yeah. Um, you are a very emotional, vulnerable songwriter, but I'm sure, you know, I've wondered, like, you process your songs with enough notice so that when you get on stage, you actually don't start to get emotional, but you also perform with other very vulnerable, emotional songwriters. So what is your experience with getting emotional while performing? Uh, it definitely happens. I you know, I, I asked actually this exact question of Anais Mitchell because I had a, a, an occasion to uh, play a tribute show for her and I, I played her song, Now You Know, and I can barely listen to it, let alone sing it, 
without just dissolving. I turn into a baby deer when oh. I hear that song. <laughs> you know, it, there's there's a lot of songs that do it, but the two that reliably do it are that and Randy Newman's Feels Like Home. Mm. Those two, I have a really tough time getting through, and I, there's different reasons for both of those. But, you know, stuff like By Degrees, it can be challenging, too. Um, mm. And... And Lost in Translation is, is one of those songs, too, where it's just like, there's just no place to hide, you know? And I think the idea is that the audience, you know, they they, they want you to, to dive all the way in there. They don't want to see someone just kind of skate on the surface. I mean, mm. there's there's whole genres of music where that's that's all well and good, and those artists make millions of dollars and that's fine but that's not like the people that come to see singer-songwriters that that's not what they're looking for you know uh, so you kind of have to go down there um when you write it and Anaya said that she you know labors over the song so much that by the time it's done you know she's she can sing it without breaking down and I would like to say that I'm the, the same, and most of the time I am, but not, not always. Don't let this love get lost in translation wins is the next song and this is a cool track you and susan catanio catania catania yeah. the song features a river as the protagonist yeah it started out as a song about a river and then i think about a verse and a half in we both realized that we'd probably both written a dozen or 15 songs about rivers and here was another one and we kind of lost steam and this is the kind of thing that ha that happens can happen in a co-write where you get this immediate re call and response, immediate reaction, where it, I think it was her idea, like, what if we were singing from the river's perspective? And I was like... Did you high five? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, absolutely. Like, of course. Why did I not see that, you know? And once once we made that shift, it was like, it just got a little... A little cooler, a little darker, mm. a lot darker, and uh, a little more compelling. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Um, and why did you decide that the river doesn't care about the people in the town? Um, and, and coming from someone who has a master's degree in evolutionary <laughs> biology, I'm wondering mm -hmm. about your professional opinion um, that humans can be as equally destructive Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, humans have, we have our development along rivers. I mean, we've, we've done any number of things to rivers over the, over our, the centuries that just, you know, if the river was a person, you, you know, if you think of it that way, like it, 
it would be really degrading. I mean, we've changed their course. We've like, you know, de developed right up to them. You know, we've polluted them. We've, you know, so much that they got set on fire. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot. We've done a lot to the rivers. We've been pretty hard on them. Um, and, you know, so I thought like, well, if you give a river like a, a sentience, you know, like I could imagine like they'd be pretty pissed off about some <laughs> of that stuff and maybe like, you know, like a person, they just kind of want to be themselves and not care about, you know, the reaction or, or the consequences. And, you know, and it, so if you think about it that way, the, the, the river is just kind of like had it mm. <laughs> with the, with all the, the humans on its banks. And, uh, so that was, the, that was the idea behind that one. And, uh, it's kind of fun to give it like the music is kind of like snarling and, and rumbly and and kind of, you know, kind of feels like a, a churning kind of river in flood. Mm. And uh, so I kind of like that about it, too. No, I won't be Western Veil uh, is a tribute to the American West, sonically. I want to know about what the inspiration was for this song. So I imagine you asked your band to play a song that sounded like Moab, but did they need any, like, <laughs> comparative references? I think, like, I listened to that song and I immediately put on, like, a spaghetti Western, um, how do you say his name, Inyo Morricone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking, like... Um, Kind of like Neil Young, kind of Albuquerque, like Tonight's the Night, kind of, but acoustic kind of vibe, you know, just kind of slow and loping, but also, you know, very grand. For the Western Vale, like, I really just wanted it to to conjure that sense of, of things stretching on to infinity, like that, mm. that central riff or the lick of the song, which is one that, that I that I came up with. I mean, in some version of the multiverse, I could just be playing that over and over forever and ever. Like, I just love the kind of circular nature of it, and I've never quite written anything like it. But I think you're right in the sense that there's this cinematic quality to the song. Totally. And kind of an old-school Western cinematic quality, despite maybe not really, I'm not really like a, an aficionado of any of that stuff, I don't, I couldn't name check any of those movies or anything like that. But I think the the, the landscape brings it out of you in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been in love with the American West ever since I was in high school, um, just because it seemed like it was just so different than where I grew up here in the suburbs of Boston, and it just felt like, well, that's where the real world is out out west, you know. Um, there's a real original thought there. Um, 
and that, but it it took me forever to get out there. I'd been um, to Arizona and some places in New Mexico, but I'd never been to like the Red Rock country of Utah. And it took me till like just a few years ago to get there. And uh, and man, it was everything I'd I'd ever dreamed of. this quote I love how this track feels nostalgic and almost like a classic rock song you might have heard before until you pay attention to the lyrics yeah <laughs> which you also talk about how looking back at the quote good old days is a form of white privilege yeah how have you approached that kind of like self-reflection well you know it's kind of dawned on me too like I, I feel like I've kind of awoken to that that realization, you know, like there's a verse in the song about like how I used to be able to ride my bike down any street in my town and there'd be someone that knew my name, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, because there was always people home and they were always moms because they didn't have the kind of opportunities in the workplace yeah. that they have now, you know, uh, at least in part. So, you know, it, it just it got me thinking about like, Okay, well, you hear all these songs about when things were better, you know, way back when, but like you don't hear as many songs about like the question of, well, who were they better for? Were they better for everyone back then? Because if you start to think of, you know, marginalized communities and, and marginalized voices, they weren't always better. I mean, they're not perfect now by any stretch, but, um, you know, if you go back far enough, like women can't vote. You know, and and black people don't have civil rights like that. That was not better. Hmm. It's not it's not near as good as it should be. But it it it's a, I think there's a lot of kind of um, a very white male perspective of like, let's just go back to the time when we didn't have to think about what anyone else cared about, you know. Yeah. And that there's a lot of that going around these days. And I just wanted to try and express that in a song in a kind of artful way that didn't feel like too overwrought or too heavy handed. And um, and it took a long time to do that. I was I rewrote that literally up until the morning of the last day of the last recording session Mm. when it finally, finally clicked. Um, It was that line. It's a co-write with Dinty Child though the only line that he suggested that made it into the song was the one that made it all click, which was, we all watched the same screen, uh, but we didn't see the same thing. So, you know, at the beginning, you have the nostalgia of everybody tuning in to, like, the Bruce Springsteen video, you know, mm-hmm. premiere or whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, we're all watching, like, the same, you know, X number of television channels or whatever, but we're not seeing... 
we're not interpreting it the same way. Like, I might look at, you know, the Brady Bunch and see something that looks like kind of like what I am familiar with, but, like, other people from other communities might not see themselves represented in that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it was a process of, of opening my eyes to that. It just took a long time to kind of get outside myself in that, and I'm, st and I'm still trying to do that but this song is is kind of part of that like i think it's helpful i hope it's helpful to hear like a white guy kind of indicting other white guys for that hmm. and saying like listen up fellas <laughs> we're not all that <laughs> and it's important because sometimes like the the uh, the voice of a white guy is the only voice that some people hear yeah. And the the people that need to learn that lesson the most, that's a lot of times the only only perspective they really acknowledge. Mm. So if they're not called on it by someone who enjoys that same privilege, they'll never they may never hear that message. Mm. So they've they've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in fiery furnaces Burning underground And none can tell if hell Is simply where we're living now Who knows if there's a golden kingdom In the clouds above Oh baby, don't you ever doubt my love I was born to be your witness. Doubt my love. You start this song talking about hell and heaven, stating your convictions very openly. I was like, whoa. Uh, we, yeah. are, <laughs> we are in uh, liberal Boston, yeah. um, where that kind of stuff can fly. But what has your experience been like elsewhere when it comes to confronting and questioning religion in your songs? The uh, the first line of that song is, I don't believe in fiery furnaces burning underground. You know, I just say I don't believe in it. It's not, it's fine if other people, if that helps other people, that's fine with me. I kind of wish it helped me. It emphatically doesn't. Every time I've tried to go to church, even Unitarian church. It's the just, fun church. Yeah. It doesn't help. And... I used to think that was like because I was just not applying myself or I was a surly teenager or I just, I don't know, I don't know why, but it just doesn't do it for me. And that's okay. If it does it for other people, great. Anything that helps people, you know, live in this world, great. But the point is there that we do have to live in this world. We, maybe there is a heaven, fine, but we're not going to see it for a while. So we have to live in the now. Like, that's all we really have. We don't have heaven, right? You know, we don't have heaven. We don't have necessarily have hell. We just have this. And this has to be, this has to be acceptable for as many people as we can make it. You know, it's, it's a beautiful place and it's a beautiful life. And we need to support each other here. And we can worry about what comes after, after, you know. But it doesn't. You know, maybe this is a, a younger person's perspective, you know, 
because maybe people that are closer to the end of their lives spend a lot of more time thinking about heaven. I don't know, but it's a, this is a very humanist mm. kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I wonder how maybe your perspective might change over the course of yeah, your maybe. Life. I mean, or maybe it won't. It's been decades now that I've that I've kind of felt this way. This this kind of gives voice to the way that I felt in in Catholic church growing up, you know, under duress in mm-hmm. Catholic church. But yeah, it's it's more just a, you know, it's not really meant to be an indictment of religion this song so much as it is as it is to be a celebration uh of what we have to offer and our support and our love for each other can also be something that is rock solid that you you don't have to doubt. It's not like the on, the only thing that's unindictable is, you know, God's love. Like mm. my love can be you can lean on and it's going to be there whenever you need it. And uh, we can be that for each other is kind of is what that song is kind of saying. And when I say it out loud like that, I could see how some people would be offended. But again, we were talking about disappointing people and some of those people will just have to be disappointed. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It is interesting talking to people who are, um, who do have that perspective that like, the thing that they put first is like religion and even like before themselves, before family, like before their partner, before their children, you have to put religion. That's powerful. And it's, and it's, yeah, it's difficult to hear somebody talk about how like, I love my husband, but I can't love him more than I love God. Yeah. I mean, again, like religion can be a really positive force in people's lives and I don't have any problem with, people being religious, but we, you know, I have a problem with other people telling me to be religious, Mm. you know, like we need to, we do live in the here and now and, uh, we just have to make it the best it can possibly be. And if religion is part of how that happens for you, amazing, but it's not for me, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's really just taking stock of the people uh, around me and the things that I have to be grateful for and realizing that like those those are the things that motivate me hmm. not any sense of reward in the future or uh eternal damnation you know I just the people that I love are are enough and hmm. I hope I'm enough for them Don't you ever doubt my love? Careless, um, which is a super sad heartbreak song. Yeah, so talk f- about hoping you're enough <laughs> for someone. <laughs> a lot. You can never doubt my love, and now here's a heartbreaker. You said we wanted we wanted this track to focus around the spare atmospheric grace of the piano perfor- performance, reminiscent of Bonnie Raitt's "I Can't Make You Love Me," and this is the song on the record that I think puts the most 
focus on your voice, which everybody yeah. loves. Well, thanks. There's, um, there's some... I'm really proud of the singing on this record. Uh, every record I, I say, like, I've never sung like this before. But I, I've kind of wondered, like, well, how long can I say that? And this record, I, I, I really don't think I've ever sung like this before. It doesn't feel... It feels different than it's ever felt. It feels better than it's ever felt. It feels more honest and truthful than it's ever felt. Um, and it feels more me than it's ever felt. And I think all that stuff is on display in that last song there. This was the last one we tracked. You know, the way that I record, I, I don't have like a huge budget usually or anything. So I'm singing live in the studio for usually three days. This time we got all luxurious and gave me a fourth day. So I don't, <laughs> there might be some days where I only have to get three songs, you know. Um, <laughs> but this was the last one. And uh, I just remember thinking, like, oh, my God, like, do I have it in me? But it was there. And so are you tired at that point? Oh, just ecstatic and exhausted at the same time. It's like you've done, like, a... It's like how I imagine people that go on a pilgrimage feel. Like, that's kind of... That's kind of what it is. You know, you're you're going on this journey to try and get closer to this very divine kind of thing. I mean, I'm using like religious terms and I just spent the whole last 10 minutes talking about how like religion is not a, it's just organized religion is not a big thing for me, but I have a, I do have a very, um, concrete sense of where I find, um, you know, a connection with something that's like really awesome in the true sense of the word, something that's, you know, way beyond what I can comprehend. And that's what making a record is, you know. If if you do it right, you get in there, and it's you're just trying to get as close to that as you can, and and you get it's exhausting. Mm. It's fun, but it's exhausting by the end of it. Yeah. And uh, so I had just enough left in the tank to get that one, and it kind of matches the 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 tone of the lyric too, because it's this, you know, fairly beseeching kind of. Uh, lyric that you know you're basically just begging someone to like just okay all right I know I know I screwed up but like just one more <laughs> shot you know uh, so it kind of ended up really reinforcing the the delivery ended up reinforcing the the tone of the song. That was awesome. Is that it? We got we got through the whole thing. Oh my god! But yeah, now it's time for the lightning round. Oh yes, you didn't yes. do the lightning round when I started doing I basic folk, and I was like, I feel like I missed out on the lightning round. Yeah. Well, okay. Here we are, a chance to really get into. Can it. I admit something before we start? Yes. I when I'm listening to your podcast, as I often do, <laughs> I play along. <laughs> I play along in my car. I'm usually in my car, and I'll play along, and I'll answer, and then someone will answer, you know, the other way, and I'm like, no, they're totally wrong. It's definitely dogs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. First song you learned on the guitar. Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw <laughs> by Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> didn't see that one coming, no, I, did you? No, I didn't. I'm already out. I'm already shocked. Uh, Batman or Superman. Oh, Batman. Karaoke song. I'm trying to remember the last time I did karaoke. I don't do a lot of karaoke. 
I think I did um, Long As I Can See the Light, the Creedence Clearwater revival song. Nice. Yeah. Favorite radio station as a kid? Oh, you know what? Can I go back? I did uh, <laughs> I'm the Only One by Melissa Etheridge. That's the one that I did. You did? Yeah, because I did that at the cover show one year. Oh, man. Yeah. Barnstar and Delamay had a, a karaoke night one time that is, was <laughs> epic and is not documented anywhere, but that was part of it. That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry. I know that wasn't lightning. That's okay. Uh, what was your favorite radio station as a kid? Oh, what was it? Uh, it's probably BCN. Yeah. That was a classic rock station yeah. in Boston. Dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. Favorite U.S. city? Oh, I do love Boston. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Boston. We already know the first album you bought. Yeah. Tom Petty. Um, first concert? Uh, Aerosmith at the Worcester Centrum with <laughs> Dawkin opening. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. <laughs> uh, what was the last book you read? The last book I read, um, I'm... I'm, I've read, I don't remember what it's called. I think it's called The Killers of the Flower Moon mm -hmm. about um, the Osage Indian murders in the early part of the 20th century. True story? Yes. Wow. Dream collaboration. Oh, Daniel Lanois. Nice. Beatles or Rolling Stones? I'm going to go with Beatles. Mm. Morning person or night owl? Morning person, definitely. Gibson or Martin? Electric or acoustic? I guess it would be acoustic. Um, I'm going to go Martin for acoustic. Okay. When you and your wife have a baby, do you find out what the gender is or do you wait? No, we find out both times. Flying or invisibility? <laughs> I'm thinking about Godowski's answer. To <laughs> Definitely flying. I know we can already fly of sorts, but invisibility is just too creepy. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Oh, my God, please. What do you have for breakfast? Uh, oatmeal or eggs. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, I'm going to have to say Moab, Utah. Nice. Yeah. So nice. You wrote a song. <laughs> okay, that was it. Oh, my God. We did it. Amazing. Good job. Oh, Lightning round complete. Thank you. Oh. Thanks. I got and to play on my own. Yeah. And congratulations on the new record. Thanks for doing this. Last time we talked, we were like, let's do this again in 10 years when something <laughs> there's more to talk about. And it has not been 10 years. It's been like barely two. But uh, I love the podcast and I, I'm so grateful. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks, Mark. Again, Margarelli's website is where you can find the new album Blindside. Go purchase it uh, and, you know, purchase it for a friend. Mail it to them. You can't see your friend in person right now, but you can send them a nice package in the mail. Marcarelli.com is where you find it. Basic Folk is produced by Adam Corey this week. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Laura McCarthy is a producer on Basic Folk. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Uh, it is a pleasure to be with you this week and all weeks on Basic Folk. I uh, hope you take in a, a streaming concert. It is really nice, actually, to have that live chat going um, and to connect to people in different ways like that. 
highly suggested. Okay, thanks a lot for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.